Hello, residents. My name is Zach Olson. I'm joined today by Mike Estefan, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Ravitz Insurance, my personal disability and life insurance agent, and today is round number 29 of the game. 29. Yeah, 29? Okay. A few of you have reached out to me recently because, as you may or may not be aware, the uh, ABAM, the American Board of Emergency Medicine, recently made changes to their test format. So all these triple cases that we've been doing, those are gone all of a sudden. And now they've replaced it with this new format called structured interviews. Now, in full disclosure, I've never had to do a structured interview myself because this came after I did my test. But I've listened, a few of these are available online, I've listened to them, and we're going to do our best attempt at this today to help Mike get ready for the oral boards. I will say, just as like kind of a side, I think this is a good a good change for ABEM to do because the triples were supposed to be checking your ability to multitask. However, in the real world, multitasking is completely different than these triple cases. Like it's not in the real world. It's not three interesting cases that, you know, someone is timing out for you and spacing out for you that are all perfectly designed to be done. It's like, not like that. It's more like you just get 10 people that all say, you know, COVID-19 is the chief complaint. And one of them is a 30 year old with atypical ACS. You know, it's like, it's more, it's, it's just not, I never thought it was a good part of the test. These structured interviews are meant to make to demonstrate that the candidate can think through and not just that they've memorized like uh, a template. Like I need a BMP and a CBC and a light paste or whatever. It's more of, well, why do you need a BMP? And so they ask a lot of questions like that. Um, so I think this is a good change. So like the single patient cases, Mike has 15 minutes to complete one of these. Uh, this case, again, created by me. They're not derived from actual ABM cases that I had. They're not real patients. Are you ready to go, Mike? Yeah, let's, uh, let's give this new format a whirl. Yeah, let's see how this goes. Dr. Estefan, this is a structured interview case. There is no role playing. I may interrupt you to move through the case, but this is not a reflection of your performance. You'll have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? No questions. All right, let's begin. The patient we'll be discussing is a 45-year-old male who comes in from triage with a chief complaint of weakness. He states he is having left arm and leg weakness that started suddenly a few hours ago, as well as some tingling. He appears anxious but awake. He is afebrile. His heart rate is 100 beats per minute. His respirations are normal, and he is on room air. He has a history of hypertension and diabetes. He drinks alcohol daily. He has no surgical history and no allergies. Dr. Estefan, based off of this initial history, what additional questions would you like to ask? Um, hold on. I, I just want to make sure I got all the information. Left arm and leg weakness um, started acutely. His heart rate is 100. He's a daily drinker. He has a history of hypertension. Any other medical problems that you mentioned? Anything I missed there? Diabetes. Diabetes. Okay. Um, so for this 45-year-old male who comes in with sudden onset left arm and leg weakness, um, I definitely want to know exactly when the symptoms started. Um, the precise time would be very helpful for the evaluation of this patient. Um, I would like to know if he, um, this is his, what was the question again? <laughs> I'm sorry. Historical factors. Based off of this initial history, what additional questions would you like to ask? Great. Okay. The exact timing for when his symptoms started. Um, and if the patient can't provide that, if there's like a family member or anyone else nearby, whoever called 911, um, that would be helpful information. Um, 
I would like a list of his medications, um, mainly to see if he's taking any uh, blood thinners or anything um, that could potentially lower somebody's sugar and present uh, with symptoms similar to um, what we're all thinking about here, which would be an acute stroke. Um, I would want to know... Um, you know, any further medical problems that he might have, aside from the hypertension and diabetes, any other risk factors, like uh, vascular risk factors, like high cholesterol or anything like that. I would like to know when um, his last drink was and if he, how much he drinks daily. Um, I would like to know if he uses any drugs or any uh, tobacco. Um, so a social history, I think, would be helpful here. You know, as far as symptoms goes, um, if he has any other associated symptoms with his left arm and like weakness and tingling, you know, if he's having difficulty speaking or slurred speech, um, if he's having any, you know, facial droop or numbness or anything like that, um, those would be all symptoms that I would want to know about. And then also just to make sure we're not missing anything, a, a broad review of symptoms, looking for chest pain, trouble breathing, belly pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, etc. Headaches as well, um, I would want to know about. And then if he's had any recent traumas or injuries to his head. Thank you, Dr. Estefan. You state that you would like to know the specific time that these symptoms started. How is that helpful to you? Um, well, if the patient is indeed having a... Um, cerebrovascular event, um, like a stroke, um, then the timing of the symptoms would allow us to kind of figure out what interventions are available. Um, so if he is presenting within four and a half hours of symptom onset and he has no other contraindications, then he may be a candidate for TBA or TNK, depending on what your hospital uses, basically thrombolysis. And if he's within 24 hours of symptom onset, then he, um, again, depending you know, on further workup, but he would be a candidate for thrombectomy for a large vessel occlusion, again, if this was representing an acute CVA in a large vessel. Okay, thank you. So the symptoms started exactly two hours ago. He takes amlodipine and insulin glargine. He takes 15 units once daily, and he's not missed any doses of his insulin. He drinks five glasses of wine every night before bed. You go on to perform a neurologic examination. He's alert and oriented times four. He follows commands. His cranial nerves are symmetric, and his speech is clear without aphasia. He is unable to move his left upper and left lower extremity, and he does not have sensation in his left upper extremity. The right side is normal. His finger to nose and heel to shin are otherwise normal. Given these exam findings, what else would you like to examine? I would, well, I would like to do a, um, a full NIH stroke scale assessment on this patient um, to assess the, the severity of his symptoms. Um, so I would first off start off by asking orientation questions if he knows his age and he knows um, what month is it. Um, I would assess his, we already talked about his cranial nerves. Um, I'm, it sounds like we did a strength exam already. We did a cerebellar exam already. Um, what else? I would assess visual fields because in um, acute strokes, sometimes you can have a visual field loss. Um, and then I would also try to better assess his uh, 
his ability to speak for um, like dysarthria or any kind of aphasia by having him looking at, at a standardized photo um, and have him describe the photo and name some objects that are present in the photo. Thank you. So in addition to a thorough neurologic examination, are there any other examination findings that may be helpful to you? Um, sure. Um, just a, I think a generalized physical exam to make sure we're not missing anything else. Um, specifically a vascular exam to make sure, um, that he has symmetric pulses and that this isn't representing pathology such as an aortic dissection that is, um, cutting off blood supply to his left upper and left lower extremity, I think would be very important. Um, I think a general cardiopulmonary exam and a general abdominal exam is useful in any patient that comes into the emergency room, especially um, one presenting as acutely ill as this patient is appearing to seem, just to make sure, again, we're not missing anything major. You state that a cardiac examination would be helpful. How is it helpful to you? Um, again, if if this patient were presenting with pulseless left upper and lower extremities, um, I would be very concerned for an aortic dissection um, as opposed to an a acute stroke. All right. So he has no nystagmus, his heart rhythm is irregular, and he has no cervical artery breweries. Given the findings of your history and exam, please tell me the top three diagnoses on your differential at this point in time. Um, let's see. So acute CVA would be at the top of my differential. The number one stroke mimic, which we have not tested for yet, would be hypoglycemia. Um, so that is still on my differential, especially given his insulin use. And then um, he also appears to be in AFib, um, but that would go along with the stroke. Um, so I don't think that's super relevant. So I guess we could go with a um, seizure uh, with Todd's paralysis for my third diagnosis, I guess, uh, given his heavy alcohol use and high risk of withdrawal. Thank you. With your differential diagnosis in mind, please tell me what orders you would like to place. Um, I would like to start out with a CT head non-contrast, and he will need a CBC, a CMP. Um, I would like coagulation studies, so um, PTINR and PTT, um, a troponin, a chest x-ray, and a urinalysis an ethanol level, um, and then if his CT head non-contrast doesn't show any bleeding, then my next step would be a CTA head and neck with a CT perfusion study. You state that you would order a troponin. How is this helpful for you? Um, again, if he was having some kind of dissection or um, you know cardiac event, mainly a dissection that dissected into his coronaries and it was causing coronary ischemia, um, that uh, troponin would be a, uh, an elevated troponin would be a tip off there. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Estefan. The CT of the head is negative. There is a right MCA occlusion with ischemic penumbra. The blood sugar is 100 and his EKG shows atrial fibrillation. Given these results, are there any other actions you would like to perform at this time? Right. I totally talked about the AccuCheck, but then didn't order it. <laughs> um, okay. And yeah, it looks like he's an AFib. Talked about that. Didn't order the EKG. That's lovely. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so he got the CTAs. He has a right MCA occlusion with an ischemic penumbra. I'm sorry, what was your question? I was too busy critiquing myself. Given these results, are there any other actions you would like to perform at this time? Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's call the um, the neurointerventionalist and um, I guess discuss TPA. I mean, we're going to give TPA. Um, let's let's give TPA. Is there anything that you would like to discuss further with the patient prior to the TPA? Yes, I would. Um, I would like to assess contraindications to TPA. So um, recent history of strokes, history of hemorrhagic strokes, recent history of uh, trauma to the head. Um, Let's see. He's not on any blood thinners, it looks like. Um, I would also like a blood pressure on the patient to make sure um, he is within the acceptable range for TPA. And if not, then we can address that as well. Those would be the main things. And then I would like to discuss the risks and benefits of TPA with the patient. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Estefan. The patient consents for TPA and you administer this in a timely fashion. The nurse tells you that the patient is now complaining of a headache. What additional actions would you like to take? <laughs> um, let's let's call over to CAT scan and rush him over to CAT scan for a stat non-contrast study of his head to ensure there's no um, hemorrhagic conversion of this LVO. Are there any other interventions you would like to do prior to taking the patient to CT? Yes. Um, elevate the head of the bed to 45 degrees and stop the TPA. You stop the TPA and take the patient to CT and it shows intracranial bleeding. What would you like to do next? I would like to call our neurosurgery colleagues um, to get them on board. Um, I would like to administer, let's see, he's not on any blood thinner, so there's nothing to reverse. Um, I would like to administer Keppra or some anticonvulsant prophylactically for seizure prophylaxis. And um, I would like to um, insert an arterial line for better management of his blood pressures with the goal of keeping his mean arterial pressure less than 100 and await further recommendations from our neurosurgery colleagues. Neurosurgery is not available. Are there any other interventions you would like to perform? I don't know if this is a trick question or if I'm missing something, but I don't think so at this time. We could, I mean, is he showing signs of, can I get an exam on him? Is he altered? Does he have a blown pupil? You re-examine the patient. He's administered Keppra and the head of the bed is elevated. He has an arterial line placed. His mental status is unchanged. Are there any other interventions you would like to do? Um, if his mental status is normal and he has symmetric pupils, I don't think there's an indication for emergent, um, well, was there, was there midline shift on that, the head CT? No. Okay. Then I don't think there's an indication for like mannitol or hypertonic. So no. Okay. How will you counsel the patient? Um, I will tell the patient that unfortunately, um, you know, there, there's a, about a 5% risk of brain bleeds with. TPA, and unfortunately, that's what happened, um, and that we're going to do our best here to um, stabilize him until we can get him to definitive care. Thank you. And what is your final disposition? Uh, Transfer to a center with neurosurgical capability. Okay, thank you. And that ends your case. Before we go through how you did, Mike, 
I would like to thank our sponsor for the month, Pearson Ravitz Insurance. Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Ravitz is my personal disability and life insurance agent. We've been talking quite a bit about disability insurance these last few months, specifically the importance of having a solid own occupation personal policy that you carry with you through your career. But let's focus today on the other area that Pearson Ravitz specializes in, life insurance. You may or may not know this, but life insurance is the policy that gives your loved ones money if you die. Many of us, including myself, are the primary financial support for our families, or will soon be the primary financial support for our families. If you are in the situation where your loved ones are financially screwed if you die, or you think you will be in that situation in the near future, you need life insurance policy to protect them. Just like disability insurance, the sooner you buy it, the cheaper it's going to be because you're healthier. And you want to know why I trust Stephanie Pearson versus all the other agents out there. Lots of independent insurance agents can make lots of money by convincing you to buy life insurance policies other than simple term life insurance. When I first talked to Dr. Pearson about buying a life insurance policy, I was actually doing a kind of a, I was testing her to see if she's going to try to sell me one of these other types of life insurance policies that make her a lot of money, but are not financially wise for me. These were policies that I knew in advance were bad based off my own study of personal finance. To be clear in that moment, if she had ever mentioned anything other than term life, she would not be advertising on this show right now. But you know what she did? The very first thing she said was, just to be clear, Zach, you, shouldn't be, you should be buying term life insurance policies, nothing else. And at that very moment, I knew I could trust her because she wasn't trying to sell me crap. And that's why I trust her. That's why you can trust her too. Pick an agent you can trust. Go to www.pearsonravits.com. Get in contact with them. Protect your family. Now back to our case. All right, Mike, what do you think about these, these cases? What do you think about this style, this format? It's really interesting. Um, it, it turned the gears in my brain in a way that I'm not usually used to. Because, um, you know, in, a, in emergency medicine, we, we're so much about just doing things, making decisions um, with incomplete information and just doing things, ordering tests, finding results. But there's not a lot of time on shift to kind of break down why we're doing the things we do. And I feel like, at least in training, you know, with the at least the volumes we're seeing in the ER, that there's not a lot of time to think through this stuff, and we just kind of learn by doing. Um, so I th- I think this is a interesting change to the format. I think it's a good change. Um, I don't know how did you feel that way. So I agree. I think this is a good change to the format. I think it's a different way of thinking, and it's a way of thinking that ER doctors aren't useful, aren't used to, but that we need to to be able to do. Um, even just doing this with you and kind of running through these questions, I'm like, this is a this is a very interesting format and kind of flow. Um, most of the questions I had were pre-written. Some of them I would kind of throw in on the fly based off of what you were saying. But it's it's interesting. I think psychologically, if I was taking this test, because um, this is going to be about how it is, is my understanding. It's weird to get like results on things that you know you forgot, right? Like all of a sudden they say, oh, this is what the EKG show. And and to have those results, despite the fact that you didn't order it and knowing that you may have missed something, I think it's going to be hard not to kind of lose it a little there and kind of get shaken by that. 
Um, but my understanding of the way this is works is that they will give you just results to kind of move you through the case, whether you even mention it or not. Um, and I don't know, cause I, I told you up front, Mike, that it was going to be this style. So I don't know if that was your understanding of how they would do it as well. Um, but I, again, I think it's kind of an interesting way of doing it. Like, what would you like to check for on an exam? You mentioned the heart, you mentioned the neuro exam and they say, all right, the patient has no cervical artery breeze, you know, and you kind of go like, oh, did I mess up? I, I think psychologically it's going to be a little bit harder to get through one of these. Yeah. Um, I would also be nervous. I don't know how much into like the physio physiology of different medications and stuff that they're going to get. I think ER doctors are going to be good at explaining why they need certain tests. I think they're going to be good at explaining a differential. Um, I think that if it, I think that the treatments might get tricky if they start asking questions, you know, why I'm trying to think of like what a good example would be, you know, why does TPA help stroke or something? You know what I mean? Or if let's say you give a reversal agent and you're giving like cryoprecipitate or something like how does cryoprecipitate help in a stroke? I think those questions could potentially be very difficult as well. How do you think you did just overall? Um, I mean, I, I did some self-critique during the case. Um, in true Mike fashion, I think about things and then I don't order the relevant test, um, which is, you know, per the use for me. Um, other than that, um, I guess I would say I've never had this scenario clinically before, so it made my gears turn. I've never had a uh, post-TPA bleed, surprisingly enough. Um, the handful of times that I've um, been involved in the decision, it, at my main teaching hospital, usually neurology handles the majority of this, but at all of our other sites, we do. Um, so the, the few times I've made the decision to push TPA, luckily, knock on wood, I haven't had a bleed, so I haven't had to think about this before. So I think that was good in pushing me in a direction I'd never been pushed before. Um, I think I made some silly mistakes, and there's probably more that I'm missing than I think I'm missing, and I'm just waiting for you to <laughs> to drop the knowledge bomb. Um, no, I don't really – I mean – We'll do the deep dive in a couple of weeks here on TPA. Everyone tune in. It's going to be saucy. But um, the, as far as knowledge bombs on this style of test, this is the first time I've ever given someone in this style, you know, other than the videos I've seen online where the ABEM people are kind of demonstrating it. So I, I was kind of interested to go through this as well. I anticipate that the cases will be similar. I think it'll be fairly probably more straightforward cases. I don't know if that'll be true or not. I just, I, I anticipate that'll be the case. As far as like critical actions, I think getting a blood sugar would be like a critical action. You considered it. It was in your differential. I don't think you technically ordered it, but you know, you mentioned it a few times. Obtaining a CT of the head would be a normal. Um, I think discussing TPA, whether you give it or not, would be in there somewhere. Um, repeating the CT scan when the patient had a headache. And I think placing a consult to IR or neurosurgery or that type of thing, you know, doing some consults with this would be the typical critical actions. I don't think you missed too terribly much. What do you have? I'm curious. What did you kind of end up writing down on the paper? Because I don't even know. They don't even. I'm not sure if the paper will even be like the little gingerbread man or if it's just a blank piece. I'm not sure how this will go. Um, but like, what did you end up writing down? Oh, man, it's a lot of chicken scratch. Um, I tried to write as fast as I could. Um, so it's it started off with the the information you gave me and then kind of going through. I wrote down everything that I had addressed um, just to make sure that before moving on to the next next question that I had addressed everything I wanted to address. Um, and then I wrote down all the tests I wanted and really just kept a journal of what I was doing so I could look back and see what I had done. Yeah, I think so. 
and again, this is based off of me never having done this. When I looked at a couple different examples of this online through the ABEM website on this free, free stuff, it kind of had the same format of like they start you off with history stuff and then they ask you why you ask that question type of a thing. Um, they have like kind of an exam part and they kind of get into differential diagnosis and they maybe have a clinical course type thing. Like there's a, it's kind of the classic flow of almost like what a note would look like as far as the order of it. So I don't know if it would be a good strategy to like have like a different heading, like a history and you kind of write under history, everything you get and make sure you get your HPI, but also like allergies and things like that. Um, exam. Cause I, when I was doing this, I was like, when you do a regular single patient encounter, you have the opportunity to ask questions, get feedback and process. This is just like, okay, I'm going to list 10 things. And then what else would you like to know? And I think it's probably hard to even keep track of those 10 things when it's thrown at you like that. Um, that was something that seems like it would be hard if I was in your shoes, which I'm glad I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Trying to scramble to write everything down was a challenge. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much this reflects what happens on test day. I mean, like we've said before, you've never done this. I've never done this. But when I was looking at examples online, they at least had a a sheet, like a handout that had all the information given. I'm not sure if that sheet is released to the tester or the test taker um, at intervals, you know, following every question with all the new information, or if that is hidden to the the tester. Um, it, I didn't see anything making it clear yeah. one way or the other. I don't know if you did. If they... I. I saw that same sheet, and so I'm, I imagine you might get something along that. I don't think that the sheet will be comprehensive. I mean, they're not going to give you all of the examination findings on this. You know what I mean? They might have like a like a, what you would see in a triage note. There might be a little medication list, his list of histories and surgeries and allergies and a chief complaint or something. Um, so, but I don't know. I think it's a good question for ABEM. Um, again. This is all new. Uh, I didn't know about this until a month ago. <laughs> People started emailing saying, hey, they aren't doing the triples. You should probably, you know, stay with the times here. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll do it. So um, do you have any other final thoughts on this case? I think you did well. It's hard to, you know, hard to judge because, again, this is a new format. Yeah, I think the one thing that um, I would like to add is management of post-TPA hemorrhage. So, like I said, I have never encountered this clinically before, um, but from my brief reading just now um, while we were chatting, it looks like the AHA does have a few recommendations on treatment of post-TPA hemorrhage. Um, it looks like even though the evidence is very, very poor, um, and there's actually very little positive evidence for this, their current recommendations involve giving TXA, so tranexamic acid, to these patients, as well as platelet infusions and cryoprecipitate. Again, the evidence here appears to be very poor. However, these are the formal recommendations from what I'm seeing right now, just looking it up on my phone. So I think aside from the post-TPA management, um, I think the rest of the case went well, but I think I kind of missed that aspect of the case. Overall, you did okay. You got through the case. You kind of understood the flow of the case. I thought. Oh, one thing I thought you did really well. I thought. I think you had three items on your differential. I thought that was a hard one for this because the easy one. So you go stroke and low blood sugar, and then that third one, I was like, what would I put there? <laughs> I honestly didn't know. And I thought that tying together the alcohol use and the Todd's paralysis and the seizure was pretty. That was pretty solid. I was like, all right, there you go. I like that. <laughs> I can. I can get that was that was a solid differential. I thought so. Um, it was kind of fun. 
like you don't get to list everything ever. It's like yeah, pick your top three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that yeah, abdominal pain, you know. I kind of made that one work. I was like, what could cause heavy paresis? And I was like, seizure with Todd's paralysis. Does he have any risk factors? And I was like, oh, <laughs> alcohol. Yes. I was like, oh, that's good. So I thought that was really solid. I was really impressed by you thinking on the fly with that. Because honestly, I was kind of thinking too, as you would go through, like, well, what would I ask? What's the next question going to be? And I even know where the case is going. I'm like, I don't know what my third thing would be. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I think that the blood sugar and the stroke are obviously the big two. So yeah. anyways, that wraps it up, everybody. I don't know. Do you, any other, how's residency going, Mike? You're almost done. Do you feel like... And it's super expert on everything ever yet. Uh, no, I, <laughs> every shift goes by, uh, every shift that goes by, I feel like I, I know less and less. Um, <laughs> it's quite scary and humbling, but, um, no, it's, I mean, it's good. I'm excited. I'm excited for attending hood. I don't know if I'm ready, but I'm excited. <laughs> I don't know if anyone could ever be 100% ready as I've heard. A good group, a good group's going to have an attending with you when you first start off, or they're going to have some sort of orientation. They're not just going to throw you to the wolves generally. Um, and I know the job you're taking, and they're, we're not going to, you know, throw you to the wolves. <laughs> it's going to be, you know, there's always someone around. Um, anyways, so I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, same advice as always. Make sure you're doing procedures. They slow you down. They hurt your overall numbers, which get pushed that third year. But it's very, very important that you get used to doing procedures and procedures on difficult patients. It's not just the easy lumbar punctures. It's the lumbar puncture on the person that has a, you know, a BMI of 50, right? Like really focusing oh, yeah. down on the, the procedures, not just that you can do quickly, but the difficult procedures that are going to take a long time to do successfully. Fish for the lines with the ultrasound on those difficult vascular patients, things like that. You will not regret that. Um, so that's my, again, my piece of advice for your final few months here, um, for everyone that's listening. So we've had quite a few hits, um, as far as next year, uh, with having some other people involved with these cases, some, some really interesting, I've been sent some interesting lectures, interesting projects. Um, so that's been really good. We are going to be reaching out to those who have emailed us soon. Um, this will probably be the last episode where we kind of pitch this for anyone that's listening, uh, starting this year, we're going to try to get get some other med students in residence involved because Mike's going to be graduating. So we need to bring more people on board. I think it's a great opportunity for you to learn and to go through residency kind of working on this, but it's also a good opportunity to get your feet wet with education and things along those lines. Um, the current applicant pool that we have for this is very, very competitive. Um, so if, you know, I don't want to have everyone, anyone shy away from this, but try to send in something that kind of demonstrates your teaching, whether it's even even just a slide deck, something so that we can at least kind of get a get a feel for your teaching style and whether or not it'll be a good fit. But especially if you've been on a podcast and done a podcast before, or if you've done videos before, or something that we can actually see, um, that's kind of where the bar is at right now as far as the stuff people setting in, uh, sending stuff in. Um, but we we are very excited to to start getting to meet some of you. It's you know it's humbling as. Now as an attending, and I've been doing this, and I feel so, like, proud of myself, and then you have people start sending you things, and you realize, like, how much better even, like, the med students are than you, and you're just like, oh, my God, <laughs> people are so high-achieving <laughs> compared to me. So, um, <laughs> anyways, so with that said, though, this will be kind of the last time we pitch this. If you are interested in potentially being involved with this podcast, send us a CV, send us something, and and express that interest to us. You can email me, Zach at emclerkship.com, Mike at emclerkship.com. You can um, 
reach out through the website website, but I, I don't think you can't like attach anything uh, that way. But if you say, Hey, I got some lectures and stuff, I can email you back and you can just reply to an email or something. But again, it's probably easier just to email us. As always, check out our sponsor, Pearson Rabbits Insurance. Again, they are my personal agents. I think that they are great. I think that you need to be reaching out to them. And until this very spicy mid-month episode comes out, keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.